The Wicked Smart Sports Guys is brought to you by SumaxBatteries.com. As always, the go-to website for all your battery needs. Sumax Batteries carries a full line of super heavy-duty ultra-alkaline lithium and button cell batteries. Sumax Batteries compares in quality to well-known national brands, and the best part, Sumax Batteries are priced much lower than their competitors. Flashlights, remote controls, game infos, headphones, digital cameras, hearing aids, smoke alarms, whatever device you need a battery for, Sumax has the best batteries at the best price for your device. You can order a 24-pack of AA or AAA heavy-duty batteries for only $5.99 or a 24-pack of ultra-alkaline, ideal for all kinds of gaming and high-tech devices at just $12.99. Order today and use coupon code BOSTON, that's coupon code BOSTON at checkout, all uppercase, and save 20% off your entire order. Once again, that's coupon BOSTON, all uppercase at checkout, and say big today, CellMaxBatteries.com, C-E-L-L-M-A-X Batteries.com, the official sponsor of the Wicked Smart Sports Guys. Alright, welcome back to another episode of the Wicked Smart Sports Guys podcast. Thanks as always to Dolly Dreams for the intro music. This week, we're joined by the man himself, the founder, Ev Singleton, host of the Ev Unleashed podcast. You better go follow him on Twitter with NBA Free Agency coming up, at EvGuyBoston. Ev, thanks for making the time and welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. Always glad to uh, rejoin the Wicked Smart Sports Guys show. So, just quickly, we're going to talk about a lot of the offseason stuff with the Celtics and the NBA as a whole. A lot of craziness is starting to happen. And, you know, people joked yesterday that it's finally starting to feel like the NBA offseason with this wave of rumors. But before we get into that stuff, we, we just need to mention pay tribute to Tommy Einsen. Uh, you know, I've said a lot of stuff on Twitter over the last few days about him. So, I'm just going to be mostly repeating myself here. But. I mean, he's just such an iconic figure. It meant so much to me growing up, and I know so many other people. I really think he taught me what, what real passion looks like. Just, you know, the way he covered the game, the way he talked about it, the way he cared about it. And that's something that's so important to me and, and key to what I'm doing. You know, I, I just think we, we all love Tommy, and I was heartbroken. I know we were all probably heartbroken. We saw the, the news come across on Tuesday and you, you've just seen this outpouring of support over the past few days, and it's been really great from former Celtics, current Celtics, you know, other organizations across the league, other you know, news outlets, not even Boston-based, these national outlets. Adam Silver even said something, the NBA commissioner, and it's just been this, this huge wave of, of people that, that love Tommy and cared about him and, and are sad to see him pass. And I, I think the only thing left to say is, is thank you. You know, thank you to Tommy for really giving so much of his life to the Celtics. And he, he deserves a huge thank you from everybody. Yeah, I mean, I and I just recorded my episode. It's out now, too. Um, it's kind of like my tribute episode, I guess, to Tommy Heinsohn, because I think that he is like the walking or was the walking definition of something you didn't really understand how tied he was to the team that you love. You know, it's like people didn't realize that, you know, no matter who you are, what age you were, if you're a Celtics fan, you had Tommy Heinsohn related to that team some way, shape, or form. Player, coach, um, now most known for, obviously, his color commentary and, and, and broadcasting games too early on. But it's like people didn't really realize until, you know, a, a tragedy like his death happens to take a step back and be like, holy crap, like, I'm so intertwined with him without even realizing it. And it's sad, but... You know, um, you kind of mentioned like the thank you part of it. And I said it on my show and he really is like the epitome of um, don't cry because it's over smile because it happened because he is and was and will always be such a part of the Celtics. 
you know, whether now he's passed or even when he was alive, he was just a true Celtic, a true Celtic legend and just bled green. So it really is like a, a thank you moment or a like appreciation moment. And I just wish that, you know, most people were able to do that. Thanks. And were able to show that appreciation while he was still here to see it. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of the times that doesn't happen until the worst happens. So, um, sadly he's no longer with us, but I do think that it's, it's, um, great to see the, the, the support and the love that's been shown for him lately because he, he's just the person that deserves it more than anyone else. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's really crazy when you go back and look at the, the fact that he's been in the organization since 1956. I mean, that's 64 years, 64 years he's been with the Celtics organization in some capacity. It's just insane. And you, you go and look and see that he was also the uh, the Rookie of the Year award winner. And I think the the year he came in, uh, like, you know, that's uh, people forget how, how much of a great player he was. And I know that um, I think, you know, Bob Cousy was somebody that mentioned that a lot. But he the draft he came in with was Bill Russell's draft. So he won Rookie of the Year. When it, uh, like he be, he beat out his own teammate Bill Russell for Rookie of the Year. That's how good Tommy Heinsohn yeah. was. So, you know, I I do think people uh, don't recognize that part of it as well. But but just really the magnitude of of being with the team for sixty four years, giving so much of that 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 you know, so much of his life to the team. It's it's really amazing what he did. So um, thank you, Tommy Heinsohn. And you know, if you want to see more stuff on Tommy, there's plenty of stuff out there. I've just mentioned his podcast. Plenty of other people that, that knew him well. I know Mike Gorman's been done a few things, and, and NBCS Boston had, had a ton of people come on for interviews and talk about how great he was. And just, I mean, go check that stuff out. Just try to enjoy it. I, I know it's sad, like like we we all know, but like Evan said, it's a great way to put it. Just smile because it happened. Because unfortunately, this is a part of life, and people pass away. And and I I know that if Tommy was here, he'd tell you he lived a great life. You know, he he uh, was obviously you know it's been talked about his art and the way he expressed himself there and his life i know passed in the last few years and uh i don't think tommy passed uh a sad man i think he was he was very happy with the life he lived and you know you have to uh you just have to accept it and and just you know be and enjoy the good moments of it because it, it was it was pretty special but um, speaking of enjoying the good moments, we're gonna we're gonna move on from the sad topic. But you know, one last thank you to Tommy, uh, and we'll get into some of the fun stuff of the NBA, some of the stuff that made following it so fun, and what made you know watching along with Tommy so fun. Um, and we'll get into the off season because it's finally here. I know a lot of a lot has happened in the past few days. Really, I, it just really got announced when free agency will be. It'll start the twentieth. And the official signing period will be the 22nd, but we know how this works. This, the official signing period does not matter. It's, you know, the the uh, you know the tampering window, whatever you want to call it, it opens on the 20th, so that's when everything's going to happen. And the draft is the 18th, so a lot of stuff is happening in a matter of days here. I think if you go draft to, to start of the season, it's like 35 days between when the draft is to when NBA opening day is, and free agency training camp's all going to be in between. So it is going to be a roller coaster ride, <laughs> more than... The NBA offseason even usually is. I mean, this is going to be like, you know, just whatever the usual NBA offseason is, just on speed or whatever. Like, it's just going to be run through so fast. So much is going to happen so quickly. It's going to be impossible to keep up, which is so weird to think about because usually we're in this mode with the NBA offseason where things are happening so fast. It's insane to think that it could somehow develop even faster. But that's what we're going to see. And and I know it's it's already flying out there. The Russell Westbrook rumors 
the you know just the trade rumors that are going around with the with the draft and, and you know all the stuff it's it is going to be crazy i don't know how i mean i know some people were against it they wanted the nba to put push the start of the season back because uh you know it, it was just it was too short of an off season i get it not only because of the reason like oh well you know these other teams haven't played in you know 200 days or whatever it is these are teams that weren't even in the bubble but i also get it because for revenue purposes, like you want, first of all, the opening day, like you'd get the opening day thing regardless, but the Christmas day, the, the prize of having Christmas day still on the NBA schedule is also like a, a huge marquee date for the NBA. So keeping up revenue as much as possible, you get the opening day on the 22nd. And this was something I came to the realization of, of like, oh, this is why they're not opening on the 25th. Cause instead of having just one day where it's a big day, where it's the 25th, it's Christmas, day and it's also NBA opening day instead of having one marquee date you have two marquee dates now of Christmas day and opening day you can you know increase your potential revenue there so the NBA is also already dealing with so many losses financially that they kind of had to do this because this is you know the, the way to maximize it in the only way they can really with with everything that's going on yeah I mean I'm bored I guess because it's gonna be super super exciting and my whole I guess take with this since the beginning is like you don't return to normal without doing something like this so you know being being having the foresight of okay well you know if we 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 do it now and then next year we do it at this point like eventually you have to get back to the normal start I would think I mean that's just my opinion but um I don't really mind them kind of throwing everything at you know, now they have it sort of ironed out, but it seemed like for so long they were just throwing ideas out there and we had heard ideas, whether they were confirmed or not, and they were seeing what stuck. And I don't really mind this like mid November absolute roller coaster ride. Like it's going to be really, really cool. It's almost like a November madness for the NBA without actual games. Like we're going to have the draft and stuff used, like uh, trades, signings. Like it's, it's, I think I'm pretty ready for it and pretty excited for it. But um, I think that, you know, in terms of pushing it out or, or, um, anything along those lines like you can't continuously push out if you ever want to return to anything like what you had pre-coronavirus does that make sense yeah and i think i think even danny Ainge said like uh, uh, yesterday i'm gonna run through a few things he said but uh, i think he even mentioned that he's gonna make sure he gets a lot of sleep before because uh, he said uh you know that because with draft day and then then the 19th 20th he said it's all gonna be crazy so we're, we're gonna try to make sure uh, we're resting up and ready for battle. I think that's that's what he what he mentioned. But it was you know it's gonna be insane. I mean they're probably not gonna get any sleep those days, so uh, it's gonna be rough. But let's start with the biggest rumor out there right now, which is of course Russell Westbrook, who has requested a trade. I don't know. It was a little ambiguous. Like I was gonna say he requested a trade when when I was tweeting it out, but he just said he wants out of Houston. He wasn't so. He did he request a trade? Is he just like? saying he wants out but I, like I don't understand why, why there wasn't a kind of formal declaration of requesting a trade there but for whatever reason there wasn't so that that kind of threw me off a little bit but nevertheless for all intents and purposes Russell Westbrook let's just assume requesting a trade out of Houston he wants out so uh it, it's interesting with Houston something seems to be very wrong there and I've said this for a while like Mike D'Antoni and Daryl Morey both just walked out on Houston and and D'Antoni's contract was up, but the Rockets offered him an extension. Like, they wanted to renew it, and it was his decision to say, I want to leave. Coaches and GMs, they don't just walk out on jobs. That's not how the NBA works. That's not how any of these leagues work. These jobs are so rare 
you, you don't just leave one. You, you know, th this isn't something that just happens. So it was weird when D'Antoni did it. It was even weirder when Daryl Morey did it. And now Russell Westbrook's requesting a trade. Like, it, it, there's just there's something wrong in Houston. I don't know what it is. They got a new owner in 2017, this Tillman Furtada, um, who by some accounts is not the nicest guy. I don't know if that is what's going on. But there's, there's something like poison in the water in Houston because people just want to get out of there. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned like obviously Westbrook now, but also D'Antoni and Maury. It's almost like the decisions they're making because you put it perfectly. Like It's not like there's just a million coaching jobs open type of thing, but it's almost like they're making the or, or you know, managerial jobs. D'Antoni like didn't even get a head coaching job. D'Antoni took a job as an assistant with the Nets. Like yeah. he, he left Houston for a demotion. And I know some people thought he was going to get that New Orleans job. But I think that now we know that we know he didn't, and he did leave for an assistant job, like, and he didn't have like a backdoor, backroom deal there to get another head coaching job. Like, that even furthers this kind of what, what is wrong with Houston? Like, what is going on there? Yeah, it, it tells me that like those guys' mindsets were anything's better than this. You know what I mean? Like, it they don't even know what's out there. It's almost like quitting your job before you even have a lead. Um, for a new job, which people wouldn't recommend. But if you hate your job so much and you're just like, I'm done with it, you leave without having anything locked in. That's kind of the vibes I'm getting from Houston because it's it's weird. Like, even some of these bad organizations, the coaches don't just... And like you said, the contract is up. Being offered to stay and being offered an extension and probably, you know, an upgrade in terms of getting more money, no doubt, I would say, just with inflation. But it's like, you just don't leave like even coaches that coach in bad systems and stuff coach until the wheels fall off and they get fired you know what i mean it's it's weird yeah and to think oh i, I want to escape a dysfunctional franchise so i'm gonna go coach kyrie irving in the nets it's like well uh yeah. like that is how bad it was um but no but i, I do think that net situation is going to be interesting like he's the assistant but steve nash is the head coach so and steve nash you know, might not totally know what he's doing. Like, is is D'Antoni going to be the real kind of head coach there and, and run most of the practices? Or is he really going to take it back seat? Like, is Steve Na like how is that all going to work is very interesting to me. But uh, back to this Russell Westbrook thing. I don't know what's going on in Houston. I, I mean, he did say he's uneasy about the culture. Uh, so, I, I mean, that's, you know... Like or he didn't say that publicly, but it was it was conveyed. It was reported that he was he was that's why he was requesting a trade because he was uneasy about the culture. But you know, I, I don't know. It's it's hard to say. It's just it's just weird. I like I hope someone does kind of a takeout piece on Houston and really dissects this because there must be something there. There must be something underlying going on there. Yeah, I I keep going back to the idea of leaving your job without having another one unless you are running from something, you know? You're not running towards something necessarily leaving. Westbrook knows he's going to get a job, so maybe it's a little bit different, but he doesn't know where he's going to go or where they would trade him to. He's just saying anything out there is a better, you know, in this case, culture upgrade or culture change than what I'm dealing with now. So I don't know. I can't even, like, begin to think what it is because I don't even think of them as one of the more dysfunctional no i mean now it's easy to say that but i don't even think of houston as one of the like overly dysfunctional organizations in the nba they're earning that reputation by the minute now but you know really it's it's become pretty interesting just to see like the, the no you're right and it's the same thing here too i mean we i mean it's usually the kings the Knicks you mentioned with, with those kind of you know rumors of, of dysfunction houston is mm -hmm. new to the party in that regard so you know it's going to be interesting to see where the organization goes in the next few years now without Daryl Morey for the first time in a long time, who's, you know, one of the great NBA executives in the league and without D'Antoni, 
they could completely fall apart. They don't have mm-hmm. that infrastructure anymore. So, I mean, we'll see how bad it goes. But it's the same thing we said with D'Antoni, right? You're leaving the the Rockets dysfunction to go to the Nets. Westbrook might be going to the Knicks. So like, that's, it, like, again, is it really that bad? But um, it, it is interesting that the teams we've heard, heard linked to Westbrook are like the Hornets and the Knicks. And I, I like them for a few reasons. Like, I, I like the idea of him coming to the East. The East definitely needs more stars. They need more competitive teams. And, you know, I think the de- the depth of the East, how deep the East is, it's gotten better. Like, th- there are now at least seven teams I could point to and say, you know, I, I think that team's really good and, like, a, a, a solid, legitimate playoff team. Like, that team could compete in the West. Like, Indiana, Brooklyn now with, with everybody healthy, the Celtics, the Heat. You know the Bucks, the, the the Raptors. So I don't need to list them all, but that's you know that that group of teams, the Sixers. So th- those are like the seven teams that I look at and say like all of those teams are really good. You know I know that we the people joke the Eastern Conference. Like I think those seven teams could definitely compete in the West. All right, they're missing that kind of depth that the West has. Like the eight through twelve, the the, the West is much better, but. Like I think Westbrook coming in could help that if he comes to one of those teams, and I, 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 I'm honestly I'm really high on the Hawks as well, and we'll see what they do this offseason. They have a lot of chess pieces to move, but like with Trey Young, like that team, I think they should be able to compete for a playoff spot. So, uh, and we'll get to the Hawks later, but so the Westbrook thing, I like that element of it, like bring another competitive team to the East. Let's do it. The problem is like I don't know if it really works with those teams, like the Knicks and the Hornets. With, you know, like, what's his supporting cast on those teams? Who's, who's the second best player? Like, if he goes to the Knicks, is it, you know, Julius Randle and him? And, like, is that enough to really do a lot? Like, R.J. Barrett? And, like, what are they giving up? Are they giving up R.J. Barrett to get him? They're probably giving up their pick. You know, I would think I, at the same time, I don't know. Like, is that what the Rockets want when they're competing with James Harden? Or do they want some players that can help them win now? If he goes to the Hornets, like... I know you love him. Is it him and Terry Rozier? Like, who, you know, who, who's he playing with on Charlotte that's like, oh, that those two can kind of lead him to the playoffs? And look, when he was with Oklahoma City, he didn't have the best supporting cast. His second best player was probably Steven Adams, and he, you know, did enough with that team. But, uh, you know, as at least when Durant left. But, you know, it, it's still, I, I still question, like, especially with him at, at, at the age he is now and kind of, you know, not looking the best for parts of last year and, and people questioning you know, where he's at in his career, is he on the decline? I, I, I just, I think he needs another star there, and that, or another, at least another really good player, like, he can't do it alone, even in the East, so I think, you know, I, I don't know, could he get someone like Hayward, like, if, if he goes to the Knicks of the Hornets, could one of those teams emerge as a potential Hayward suitor, like, hey, this is the guy you could put next to Westbrook to pair him with, and, and maybe make a playoff push? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely interesting. I'm totally with you on, like, he's kind of not, and I don't even know if he really, in my opinion, ever was that guy. Like, I get that he's getting a little bit older, but I don't know if he ever was. Like, obviously, he's an MVP, a triple-double machine, but I never viewed him as the guy that could just do it alone because he never really was able to. And I think, um, you know, some of the seasons that he had, if he truly was that, like, guy that could do it alone, I think he may have been able to, um, but he he didn't. So, like, now in my mind, he's just a guy that, you know, he, he needs someone else, kind of like you were saying. And I almost, now that you bring up Hayward, like, that's the type of star, and maybe, you know, Boston doesn't like hearing that word about Gordon Hayward anymore, star, but that's the type of star he could have as, like, his number two because you know and we know Hayward's not going to come in there being like, give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball, stop taking shots. Like, Hayward's clearly going to be that passive star, which – still has game I do believe left in him and I think that that could actually really work 
with Russell Westbrook. Again, I don't know if that puts them over the top in even in terms of even being like a top tier playoff team, never mind contender. But I do think that that um I do think that Hayward's the type of guy that probably could play right alongside Westbrook from day one and Westbrook would strive and Hayward would probably get better too. But um Westbrook alone, like it's weird to me because no matter where he goes, I don't see him ever being like a winner. And I, it, I don't even like, it's not like I dislike Russell Westbrook. I just don't see him as a winner type player. Um, I see him as more of like, let me get my rebounds and miss shots and get rebounds and fake assists and stuff to get the stats. And those guys never seem to win. But um, I'm getting kind of on a tangent here about him. Cause it's, I feel like it sounds like I think he's a loser. He's not a loser. He's just a middle of the road, pad the stats player. But I do think a guy like Hayward could definitely benefit his game because it's a guy that has all-star caliber in him and skill. And he's not going to come in there being like, Oh, I'm better than you. I'm better than you. No, he would clearly be the number two and Westbrook needs a guy that's like in line to be, okay, I'm the number two. Yeah. It's just, I think a lot of people, like I said, they, they downplay the East and the fact is, the East is still hard to make. It's still hard to make the playoffs in the East. You can't do it alone. I think a lot of people would be like, oh, he's in the East. Of course, Westbrook can do it by himself. It's so easy. Paul George had a few years where he barely made the playoffs in the East. Jimmy Butler had Dwayne Wade and Rondo one year, and he barely made the playoffs. He were the eight, they were the eight seed. So it's not a cakewalk. It's not a cakewalk like everybody thinks. And I honestly don't think Westbrook can do it. Like, if he just goes to the Knicks, and let's say they trade, just for the sake of argument, let's say they trade R.J. Barrett for him in their pick, and... You know, just let's say that's it. I don't. I think you'd probably have to give up more for West Westbrook. Maybe you wouldn't. I, I don't know what the market is going to be. Maybe you know. Maybe the Rockets would have to attach picks to him. I don't know. I, it's so weird to, to figure out what Westbrook's market is because he's a star, but is he how attractive is he to these other teams? We. It's so weird. But let's just say that's what it is. It's it's R J Barrett and a pick and you know whatever you need to throw in a match salary. Taj Gibson, whatever. So you have left on your roster like Russell Westbrook. Julius Randle and Mitchell Robinson like it I mean is that you know and then uh, even if you trade for Hayward at that point who knows what they give up there like okay so you have Westbrook like Gordon Hayward Julius Randle TJ uh, uh Mitchell Robinson and like what Reggie Bullock is your two like you know Kadeem Allen like I, I don't know exactly how that lineup shakes out and I don't know that it's that great like I just I don't know if that puts the Knicks really in playoff contention and I want to see it and as, believe me, I would love to see Westbrook specifically in New York and have Kim in New York, Kevin Durant in Brooklyn. Can you imagine how juicy those games are going to be? The battle of New York between Westbrook and Durant. Those, I mean, there's some real meat on the bone with those games. So I I want to see it. I want to see what the Knicks, the Hornets seem to be like emerging as, as somewhat of a favorite in that regard. But like the Knicks one for those, so many, those reasons, so many other reasons. Like, and he, him against the New York media, like, can you imagine Westbrook in that situation? Like, that is what I want to see. Westbrook in New York is the juiciest of all these potential options. I'd love that too. Just like, even, even bring it back to just basketball. Like, he'd be the, the biggest star in New York in a long time, you know? So it's like, it gives, even though they'd probably still stink, it would give them back that sort of star power, whereas like the Knicks are just absolutely irrelevant now. At least when the Knicks were to come to town or you watch a Knicks game, it's like Russell Westbrook and the Knicks take on rather than um, what we're looking at now. But that would be awesome. Like, Because I know people say, oh, there's no bad blood between KD and Russell Westbrook. And then some people say that there's bad blood. Like, There's got to be bad blood. Like, And even if there's not, there's going to be that level of competition because they both sort of drew lines in the sand. And whether or not there's actual bad blood there, like I said, there is that absolute, like, I want to be better than you tonight and he, and vice versa. So that'd be pretty damn cool to see 
Westbrook leading the charge for the Knicks, and then you know Durant on a way better team, but leading the charge for the Nets. Yeah, and just real quickly, because we are going to transition to the Celtics, I don't think the Celtics are, are in play here. I guess, you know, I, I know people have thrown trades out there, like even for James Harden as well. It sounds like Harden not going to leave, but we'll see. A lot, a lot can happen really fast in the NBA. And if things continue to go south in Houston and all of a sudden they trade for, you know, picks and R.J. Barrett, and James Harden looks around and says, oh, you're, you're trading for picks? Like, this is going to be a young team now? Like, a lot can change. Yeah. So we'll see what, what develops there. But Danny Inge did confirm that the trade rumors kind of yesterday. He said he's trying to make moves to, you know, improve the team, which... It's kind of a token answer, I guess a response you would you would expect. It wasn't a lot, but at the same time, you know, I, I wanted to make the most of it. So I said, oh, he's confirming the trade rumors, there's stuff happening. Um, and there were rumors specifically that came out the other day that they're in in talks or they've had interest with in the Hawks' uh, number six pick. You assume they've had communication there with the Hawks. There were those Warriors rumors at the beginning of the offseason. Those have kind of cooled down. I mean, I think there were reports yesterday that, like, the Bulls, the Knicks, and the Hornets or something like that. Those were like the real contenders if the Warriors are trading their pick and the Celtics kind of weren't in that mix. So it sounds like the Celtics talks with the Warriors have cooled, but maybe the Hawks are now the team. And it's interesting. I don't know exactly. I feel like the only thing they can offer the Hawks that is really enticing to them would be Marcus Smart. I just, and, and I don't know if I'd even do that. I think it might be a little bit of an overpay. Like for two, I would do it. For six, it's like, you know, in this kind of weak draft, especially with, with where you are as a team, like, I'm more willing to trade smart than a lot of people. That is a little bit too risky for me. Um, so I, I don't know that I would do that. Like, maybe if you could put some other machinations in the trade, like the Celtics also get Capella, like, that could be interesting. But I, I don't know that I, I... The reason I say that is because, I mean, what the Hawks now, the, you know, they're sort of in talks for Drew Holiday, too. I don't know that there's a three-team scenario where New Orleans is willing to give Holiday to the Hawks without getting the sixth pick. Like, I think they, they'd want that in return for Holiday. I know some people have tried to, like, oh, yeah. three-team trade. The Hawks get Holiday, and the Celtics get the sixth pick. And it's like, well, I think New Orleans would want that. Like, I don't think they're, you know, I don't think they're really, that's why they're looking for a facilitator of that trade to be like, who are we going to dump this sixth pick off onto? But, um, you know, so I, I really don't think that that makes a lot of sense. But... I mean, when you look at the, the their roster, you know, Holiday is the type of player they, they need, but Smart can bring that element too, that defensive two-guard next to Trey Young, and his he's younger, so he can potentially, you know, be next to Young for a longer period of time. So I think that that's what the Hawks are probably asking for, especially when you look at the rest of the roster. They drafted DeAndre Hunter uh, last year. They drafted, did I even say that right? Is it DeAndre Hunter? Uh, they, but they also drafted Cam Reddish. So, uh, you know, they, they kind of, they have those wings already and they have John Collins too, who he's been in some trade rumors. So, uh, you know, are they going to trade him? I'm not sure, but the, the, the position they really need right now is, is that two guard next to, uh, Trey Young. So I think Marcus Smart would probably be their asking price. It's just interesting. And I know you've, you've mentioned in the past Celtics have had some interest in Capella. So could they work out a trade of like Smart and 14 for Capella and six? And does that make sense? Like... It's something I, I would at least kind of listen to and, and see if you can start forming because, you know, Capella would be a nice piece. And if you can also get the sixth pick and potentially draft another star to pair with Brown and Tatum for years to come, like that's that's enticing. And it's not as enticing as number two, but I mean, you're getting something tangible back for right for the right now and something tangible for the future. And like, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's I think I would entertain it, but that might be as 
far as I go. I just don't see a number six pick in the draft. You mentioned like a weak draft, but it's also a draft that like people know so much less about than they would in a normal year. So even like you, even if that we know it's a weak draft, that's even scary because then you don't, I don't think I, well, I guess I do think the unknown is that you don't know how weak and how um, some of these guys that usually really show what they have during March madness. And a lot of teams probably base a lot of their draft strategy off what they see out of guys like that. We don't really know that. So it's like, I don't want to trade. And, you know, some people may not agree with this or not, but Marcus Smart is an absolute, like, centerpiece to this current Celtics team. I'm not willing to trade. Forget it's Marcus Smart. Forget any of the names. I'm not willing to trade a centerpiece for an unknown at this point. And no matter who, like, how you make it work. Obviously, if it's an unbelievable deal, like, they give you, like, Capella, Collins, and and number six, like, some stupid pit. Like, you know what I mean? Obviously, I would entertain it and probably do the trade then. But if it's like a fair trade and you're pretty much raising it up against of a guy that's a little bit better than Marcus Smart, um, but you're also getting that sixth pick, I think that that sixth pick has way less value than it might normally for me. Like a top 10 pick has a lot of value in my mind, not in a draft where, one, it's already known to be a weak draft, but there's so much like unknown about this draft altogether because of how the college season ended up playing out. So to me, it doesn't really entice me like like... I think you'd said it. I would listen. I would so totally listen because you never know what you're going to hear from someone. But Marcus Smart isn't really a trade piece in my mind if you're not um, looking at getting one of the surefire picks in this draft. And I think that that ends pretty quick. Like, I don't think six, you're there. You know, if you're keeping Hayward or you're trading Hayward for another wing of some sort, I would do it. You know, and I, I would I would make that deal. If I'm getting Capella back and I can fill that center hole with Capella and then you know, to have this other pick. Cause I'm just, I've said this before. I am obsessed with the idea of getting a third star for the future next to Brown and Tatum. And I don't think smarts that guy. I want another young star next to them. And the idea of picking at six, and I know, I know it's a weak draft, but this happens a lot. The NBA draft. I mean, you, there can be some randomness in it. I know that people think all the talent goes to the top and it mostly does, but th- there's some, there's some randomness in specifically in this range. Like if you look at the history of six picks, you have guys like Buddy Heald, who you know has been a pretty good player. Damian Lillard, like that's that's those are the type of player that have been players that have been picked sixth overall in the last few years. And like seventh, Stephen Curry went seventh, and you know Jamal Murray and Laurie Markkinen. So like if you can get a player like that in that range to put next to Tatum and Brown, like that would be like obviously amazing if you can get a guy like that to pair with those guys. So. I, I know it's kind of weird. It's it's weird to throw those names out there, and it's, you know, who knows what this draft's going to be. But just the opportunity to do that, and you're getting the sure thing in Capella, like, I I think that's too much for me to pass up. And I, I don't know. It, it's going to be tough for Danny Edge because Marcus Smart is a Defensive Player of the Year candidate. Like, he's one of the best defenders in the league. Obviously, we know how great he is and uh, what, what he means to the team from a leadership standpoint. But if there's someone that he really believes in, that he really loves, and he thinks is going to be a star player in that range, you have to pull the trigger in my mind. You you absolutely do if you think there's someone like that there. And I think Danny would. like You know what I mean? We've seen him like trading Isaiah Thomas like at the drop of a hat almost. Like Danny Ainge would if he gets the deal. That's why I would listen. If I was Danny Ainge, I'd listen because if something does make sense, you do have to take the personal um, bias out of it. And like I would do the same too. I love Marcus Smart, but I just don't think – the Capella and the pick is the value for me. So I'm not really saying Marcus Smart's off limits. It's more or less for me. 
I don't want to trade that centerpiece because I think Marcus Smart is sneaky, so important to Tatum and Brown right now. So I know you're talking about a guy to pair with them. I think Marcus Smart is like the leader they need right now in a sense. Like he is the motor and, and keeps them moving. So I think that like I wouldn't want to forget how much he probably impacts them just from a work ethic and a hustle and a grind and what it means to be like a Celtic perspective. But I think you got to listen to it because if the offer makes sense, Danny Ainge will make the right trade. Like even the Isaiah Thomas trade, you know, looking back at it, it didn't work because Kyrie's not here anymore. And it wasn't like, you know, they, they really prospered from making that trade. But at the time you make that trade, like I was one of, and still am one of the biggest Isaiah Thomas fans out there. And Kyrie Irving was one of the guys that I had mentioned, you know, plenty of times saying like, I guess like that's a scar, that's a star caliber player that I would be okay with making that move. So you got to trust Danny. I know people are mad at him and they think he just doesn't make moves. He's got like hoarder Danny nickname instead of trader Danny, but he's got to listen to these because he is really, really good at taking the personal bias and, and sort of all sort of personal relationships out of a trade and making the right move. And um, if that's moving Marcus smart, I really, really trust Danny that the return's going to be so worth it that, you know, Celtics fans may not be as mad as they think when they just think of the words trade Marcus smart. Yeah. I, I just, I mean, you mentioned the hustle aspect of it and his kind of grit and everything like that and what it means to be the Celtics, all that stuff. I just, I don't know that he imparts, I think that's who Marcus Smart is. I don't think he imparts that on the rest of the team. Like, I don't know that they're the grittiest team. Like, they were back in the Isaiah Thomas days, but now, like, I don't know that he's making Jason Tatum any grittier or Jalen Brown any grittier. Like, I don't see that from those guys. I think that's just who he is. Oh, I, I completely disagree. I think that we're looking at two young guys that could t- potentially be lazy basketball players if they don't see. Obviously, they're not getting to a Marcus Smart level, but Jason Tatum in a couple years now has become way better of a defender than people probably even thought. Jalen Brown's become a better defender. Like, that motor that Marcus— I mean, t- Tatum was always—I go back to one of Tatum's first games in the league against the Knicks. He had, like, two blocks and four steals or something like that. Like, he, he was— Tatum was always a good defender, and I think Brad Stevens is a good defensive coach. Like I, I think that it's more about them, be, if, if anything, being coached that way. Like Brad Stevens' teams have always been really good defensively, and you know, by the same token, you could say Brad Stevens' teams have always had Marcus Smart for the most part. So it's you know, I, I just I don't think he, I, I really don't buy into Marcus Smart having this huge impact on the team. I think he's a really good player. I think that's I, ludicrous. I think that's crazy. If you don't see Marcus Smart... I don't think he impacts other guys. His his intensity and stuff, that's so... That's, like, ludicrous. I don't think it I don't think it rubs off on anybody else. I don't. I think everybody's okay. their own individual player. <laughs> I mean, to me, it's crazy. Agree to disagree. That's just, like, a, it's almost... It's a, I just... I, I don't see it. I don't see it. I think a lot of people look at Jason Tatum. I, I think a lot of people would look at Jason Tatum, and they do think he's lazy. I think people sometimes think Jason Tatum is lazy. I think sometimes people think he takes plays off. And I think that that's... That's what know, I mean. I, Imagine if Marcus Smart wasn't there. I bet it's way, I bet it'd be way worse. I, I just don't. I don't. I think Tatum's too good the to... The grind. These guys speak so high. They've said it themselves how much Marcus Smart means to everything in, in the locker room, on the court. They literally say it themselves. It's crazy to think that Marcus Smart doesn't rub off on other players. I mean, I think that's kind of taking credit away from how good Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are. That, like, this, this their teammate is the one making them so great at other things. Like, I just don't think Marcus Smart's that type of guy. I don't. I honestly, I and, you know, hopefully, you know what? Now I hope they trade him. I want to see him trade it so we can see. But that's you're, you're a crazy person. I don't think, I, I just, I don't see it. I don't see it on the court. Like, I, I think that, that if you look at where this team was in 16-17, in if you made this argument about the 16-17 Celtics, I might say you're right. Because that team embodied grit. This team doesn't. It just it just doesn't. It's about it's more about talent with this team. This team's more talented than that team, and they're less gritty. 
So, like, I don't think they're... They're clearly not the team that hustles the most. The Heat out-hustled them in that series. They just did. So why am I holding on to Marcus Smart the, for hustle grit, when, like... Grit, I don't think grit... Maybe maybe grit's not the word to focus on. I'm talking about the motor, the, the desire to... They didn't have that against the Heat. it all out they, there The to Heat get outdid them in all That's those categories. That's one series. That's one series okay, they didn't but have it, it on. but it was That's... the whole season. It's been the whole season ever since oh ever my, since that 2016-17 oh. team. They haven't had that. Like they've blown leads late. They haven't been as good as coming back from deficits. Like you remember those teams a few years ago. They never gave up. They would always make these huge comebacks. They would you know they they wouldn't blow the same kind of leads this team does. This team with Tatum and Brown, they they do do that. So I you know I, I'm just I'm not a believer in that system. But you know whatever we, we we've, I've been arguing that for a while. The general the other you point sh- I wanted to get to was that. You know, people. I think you should tweet that out in a poll from your podcast. I will not. I'm not gonna. I'm, I, to I know the way Celtics fans love Marcus oh, Smart. I'm not going you're, to. You're a crazy person. No, because this is just how Celtics fans feel about Marcus Smart. I'm not gonna like crazy person. But anyways, the 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 point I wanted to get to was that when you give people make fun of Danny and his drafting, but if you when you he you give him shots at the top of the draft, like he's not the one drafting Dragon Bender or Marquise Chris or Jakob Puddle, like or, or you know these these guys like the people in Tatum's draft. He wasn't drafting Markel Fultz or. Alonzo Ball or Josh Jackson like you look at those top four picks it's a joke other than Jason Tatum so he's been really good at identifying at least in these these two examples of when you give him that marquee pick as opposed to something in the late lottery he's good at identifying the marquee guy so if you give him the shot at six I feel confident in Ainge's ability to find to figure out who that guy is that can be the star player and you know pair it with Tatum and Brown and I just think that the the idea of having another player like you know, a young version of Kemba Walker who can be with Tatum and Brown for a longer period of time than Kemba can, or, you know, whatever that next player is, like, you know, uh, I don't want to say Carl Anthony Towns, but a player like that, like an Obi Toppin, let's just say, like, if Obi Toppin ends up being, like, a really great player, that, like, that is, to me, far more valuable than, than Marcus Smart. Like, I think a defensive player of the year candidate is really valuable. Like, I'd put Marcus Smart's value on par with, you know, Draymond Green, like a little a little less than what Draymond Green was to those Warriors, which was like a valuable piece, but that team was about Curry and Thompson, and like those are the real guys in that team. So, you know, I, I just, I would pull the trigger, especially only if I'm getting, again, Capella. I need that other piece to it. I'm not giving Smart for six straight up. I value him, you know, enough not to do that. I'm, you know, I, I value what he is as a player. I just, I don't see these other kind of non-tangible like I, I, I qualities like the stuff that there there's stuff that you can measure with statistics and there's stuff that you can measure with the eye test of like what Marcus Smart does that's not in the box score that we always talk about of like hustling for loose balls drawing charges like the stuff that doesn't show up in the box score like I buy into all that stuff but the idea that he's making other guys also embody his characteristics like I don't I don't I attribute his characteristics to him not to other people like that's that's where I kind of draw the line with smart yeah and I'm not talking about his specific I'm just talking about the motor of the team and the 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 willingness to to dig deep and lay it all out there you say you didn't see that much this year I think that that we saw plenty of it I mean, from him, sure. No, I'm talking from about him, from the sure, team. Not from the team as a whole. I think, I think I haven't you're seen like basing it on they didn't do it against the Heat, so it's you know the season's thrown out. The no, way it's though. it's not just against the Heat. All season, like they were they were blowing leads to to uh, like we talked about this for a while. They were blowing big leads to like teams for you know all regular season, and you know it's it's problem back that's dated back to you know the year prior with he who shall not be named. Uh, you know, but I I think this team's had a leadership problem for a while here, and I think that you know. We, we attribute this great leadership quality to Marcus Smart, and, you know, certainly there's some of that there. I just, I don't, 
buy into the, the the element of it being so valuable. I just I don't think this team has been led the best led team in the NBA. I don't think that that's really what what you know I I, I give to the Celtics. They're the grittiest. They're the hardest working. They're the most hustling. They're you know the the best led team. Like I I just I don't I don't see that. But uh, we'll see. I mean maybe we'll finally get our answer. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out. But. Um, I mean, Ainge has said he, he doesn't want to make all these picks because they just don't have room on the roster. He, they have four picks this year. They don't have room on the roster for all these guys. They already had to put Tremont Waters on a two-way deal. And, you know, who knows what they're going to do with Taco Fall. Taco might not have a place on the team next year. I know that's – I know I'm coming for all the Celtics fan favorites now, but Taco <laughs> – I mean, with the way the roster is constructed, he might not have a spot on the team this year. So it's going to be tough for them to figure out – uh, all this stuff they're gonna have to do, they're gonna have to one way or another make some moves. I don't know if they're gonna, you know, trade these picks for future picks or what they're gonna do, what they're gonna be able to do, but they have to figure something out because they the fact is they just don't have room on their roster for four more rookies. If, I think Angel's yeah. comments exactly were adding four rookies to the team isn't ideal. So th- they're gonna have to figure something out to do with those picks. And if they don't find something good, they they might just have to, you know trade them off for like a, a bad deal like a two for one two first for you know whoever's you know the clippers or you know whatever i pick any team i don't know i know the clippers don't have their picks but yeah. you know maybe two with two these two late first round picks 26 and 30 to the thunder or some other team for just one future pick like that's the type of deal they might have to look at doing yeah and it's like i hope and i'm glad danny just made comments about it because in years, you know, when they've been in similar boats, not really to this extent, but similar boats, and he doesn't make comments about it, then you end up seeing some, like, draft and stash type plays. You know what I mean? Where, yeah, we'll draft this guy, but he might not even ever play for us, or or he'll play a year overseas, and then, like, everyone thinks he's this token guy coming over, and he comes over and he stinks. Like, I just don't want them to be in that situation. So I hope he finally, and, like, I think his back's almost against the wall in this sense, because he's a smart enough trader and knows the market enough to be like i don't want to be stuck making that stupid two-for-one deal that's like a you know it doesn't move the needle at all so i'm hoping he does at least do something to package them together and upgrade something whether it's moving up in the draft or you know packaging late round picks to upgrade at a like i don't i don't know what but i'm glad that he's making i guess that's my biggest point i'm glad that he's making a point to say that he doesn't want those picks because i've we've seen him draft and stash before and it's like that's just to me that's useless yeah if a guy's ready to come to the nba he's ready to come to the nba drafting and stashing is just dumb yeah and it shows a little bit of desperation honestly because usually you'd play possum there and be like oh well you know we'll see what happens we we like the picks he's saying no i'm i'm trading these picks totally like i I need someone to come you know you'd you'd usually want to up the value of them by saying hey you know you know we'll see what happens we like the picks like no i want to get rid of these picks everybody now knows he wants to get rid of these picks so he's he's losing a little bit of leverage there but it might show that he already feels he's his leverage isn't great so he knows he needs to deal these picks and We'll see what he ends up uh, doing or having to do. It tells me that he realizes the picks aren't that good. Yeah. Like, he, it tells me that he realizes that those picks aren't that valuable, so he's okay to cast a net and be like, hey, like, these are on the table. You know what I mean? Rather than him always thinking his picks are the most valuable thing in the entire world. All right. Last thing before we get out of here. I can't have you on without talking about your boy in the news a little bit. Vincent Poirier making <laughs> some waves, I got to say. Uh uh, apparently not too happy with his role, Vincent Poirier. He feels he deserves more minutes. Uh, he clarified the comments. He did say, I want to play for the Celtics, you know, but but he said, look, I'm not spending another season sitting on the bench and clapping. Like, I, I want to be out there. I want my minutes, baby. Like, I'm not doing this for another year, Brad. You know, apparently he, he said, I, I talked to Brad, and I'm not I'm not doing this a year another year on the bench. So, 
I don't know. I mean, this was your guy last year. You were you were in on Vinny P. What what do you make his comments? Kind of just not not too happy. Some controversy with the Celtics. Vincent Portier. I for starters, I think I think people are like shitting on him for it. Like I like that he said that. Like now now he's absolutely either going to be better or you're out of here. You know what I mean? Like he drew the line in the sand. Good. Now it's now balls in your court because Brad Stevens certainly is going to have a closer eye on him rather than just like forgetting about him on the bench and if he's willing to play if he's willing to get better and he's actually going to be good then he's going to play so I like the comments I I mean I'm obviously it's like a shtick that I love him and I think he should start he wasn't like he had a couple good plays when he played last year so it's it doesn't uh it you know what it actually does sound like it sounds like a guy that was a stud overseas comes here didn't get to play but constantly is thinking that it's still overseas and that he should be playing Vincent Poirier, when he played, didn't show that he could play. You know what I mean? Like, there was yeah. a reason that he didn't play and that they were going to Grant Williams and... I mean, he was, a worse, he was a worse than S. Cantor. That's what he was. Yeah, he just didn't, like, didn't do anything to say, play me. So now, I don't hate that he's like, I'm not going to do this again. So I'm reading it as, okay, you know what? He's either going to get better or see you later pal because that's what it should be like i'm not trying to even as a fan and in, in thinking of this team's best interest having a guy like him at the end of the bench isn't helping you anyway so then okay it's either you're going to contribute or you're not going to like clap at the end of the bench because i that is one thing not to get in a whole nother subject i didn't i don't know how much i bought into some of these guys that just never played and like how happy they were for the guys out there i think that this team heard early on that their chemistry is so good and everyone gave them that sort of like they're all friends and they really like dialed it up because this is a perfect example maybe he's the one off and maybe i'm way off here but him just being like yeah i was clapping and like dancing and smiling and it was all fake because guys want to play basketball so i'm glad he said something i guess is my end point Glad he said something because now you know that he's not content doing that. And it's almost like I can say to him, well, what are you going to do about it, Vincent? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, the thing is, like, he and I said this before, like, he came over from France. Like, he's probably thinking, I, I moved countries. I picked up, you know, my life and I moved completely across, you know, across the world. And I came here to do it for the Celtics and play basketball. And, like, I didn't come here just to sit on the bench. Like, I, I, I sacrificed a lot in my life to come here and do this. And, like, this isn't what I thought I'd be doing. So I get that part of it. But, like, the other part of it is, like, you haven't proven to be better than the end of the bench guy. Like, you're an S. Cantor with a worse hook shot. That's what I see Vincent Portier is right now. So, you know, I, I get it. I get his frustration. But you read the room, dude. Like, you're not that good. This is a contender. You can't just demand minutes on a contender when you're the no, 15th guy on the bench, like I said. So... We'll see what happens. I would not be surprised if he's, you know, off the team. I, I you know, I, I don't think that the Celtics uh, really loved what they saw last year, clearly. And I don't think he, he might not have a place on the team uh, in the future. But, I mean, we'll see. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe he just needs Marcus Smart to talk to him so he can buy into the culture, you know. But uh, it just, I mean, doesn't seem to, doesn't look good for Vinny P right now, I will say. If, we're, uh, if, you're, they're betting, if you're a betting man, I would not bet on him being on the roster come opening day uh december 22nd <laughs> no and i think that that's like a who has a leverage in the situation he has none like the celtics could just be like okay then whatever like see ya like you're gone you know what i mean so yeah the only real like leverage he might have is like i think his contract might still be guaranteed for two years which is crazy but i think his his salary next season might actually uh be you know guaranteed i think it says right here if they cut him and be like a dead cap value of like 1.5 which is you know, not nothing, but it's kind of close to nothing. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think 
it, the Celtics probably would have no problem saying goodbye if, if that's all it costs. Yeah, and which they should. He didn't prove anything to them. Like, you know, if he's going to be a malcontent, then you, you don't want that around. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with Vinny P. Very, very dramatic uh, stuff going on. Who knows? It's very controversial. Maybe he'll go with... Uh, play with Kyrie and the Nets, but um, <laughs> uh, Ev, thank you for joining us. Uh, we do really appreciate it. Guys, make sure you follow Ev on Twitter, Africa Boston. Check out um, his podcast, Ev Unleashed. Uh, be sure to check that out because some fun off-season stuff definitely coming and check out the Tommy episode. Uh, I, I, know, Ev, I don't know, you know, I know you usually, usually uh, or at least last off-season, you did those kind of fun off-beat episodes of the podcast. I don't know if you'll have enough downtime to do those this year. I feel like it's going to be uh, too much action, just like, you know, thing after thing happening with the NBA. You're not going to have that same kind of period where, you know, nothing's happening. It's just going to be too much going on for you to fit those in. I know. It's, that's like, it's the funny thing is that's like what the podcast was supposed to be, like just, just as much non-Celtic stuff. That is, it's just supposed to be a, like a, a podcast where I can talk about anything, but it's, I don't see that happening in the next couple of weeks because we have literally everything related to, basketball related to the Celtics coming up in such you know one it's going to be a roller coaster fashion but it's gonna be a fast roller coaster so it's all good though people love the Celtics stuff and I love the Celtics so I don't have any issues with it well guys make sure you go follow Ev follow me on Twitter at by KJO follow pod on Twitter at Smart Pod. check anything over at Guy Boston Sports and once again guys thanks for listening we'll see you next week